This is Foolish Adventure, episode 60, our interview with Tim Berkwin from the successful membership site, TraderInterviews.com. Welcome to another episode of Foolish Adventure. I'm Izzy Hyman, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Tim Conley. What's up, Tim? Yo, what's up, Izzy? Hey, all right. We have a nice guest with us today, somebody I'm really excited to uh, talk to and interview. This is uh, Tim Berkwin, who's who goes back in the podcasting space for a long time and has now, over the last few years, moved into membership sites. He has a successful membership site. He's uh, he's also doing training on membership sites and things like this. So uh, I'm really excited to dig in and ask about his experience and all this. So let's go ahead and welcome to the show Tim Berkwin. Hi, Tim. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Thanks for uh, having me on. Oh, <laughs> it's a pleasure. Definitely a pleasure having you on. Your, ex- your experience is just... Uh, so diverse and you have all these fun little like adventures that you've gone on yourself. And I think it really fits, uh, fits our audience. I think they're going to be really excited to hear about some of this stuff. So we're going to dig in, ask you a lot of good questions. So, all right. So the, your website, Tim, that you have right now is, uh, your membership site is traderinterviews.com. Is that the only one that you're doing? That's, that is the membership site other th- well, actually, you know what, let me phrase this. I know you have interviewincome.com, which is how to do membership sites based on interviews. Is that right? Right. It's, it's basically how to take interviews as your primary form of content and make it the, the subject of whatever site you're doing, whether it be advertising-based or membership-based, whatever it is. Okay. And here we are interviewing you about your interviewing websites. This is like a space-time <laughs> yeah. continuum. <laughs> I, I love interviews, and we could talk about that, why I think they're such a great form of content, why it makes it really easy to get a site up and running really quickly. So we can definitely talk about that. We'll definitely get into that. And then you also have your trader interviews, which is uh, your website that's about like day trading and stock trading and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that that is our flagship product for our sl- small company, which when I say small, it means my brother Emil and I. And so, um, yeah, interview income is part of that, but the vast majority of our revenue of our small company in membership sites is traderinterviews.com. So I make all, we make 90% of our money on the membership site rather than a course on how to do membership sites, which has always been really important to me. Yeah, very nice. Okay, so now let's go back in time and tell us kind of how you got to this point. Sure. So I have a very weird background. Um, I was a police officer with the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, I still am, actually. I'm a reserve officer. I go and put on a uniform and, and chase bad guys down dark alleys a uh, couple, three times a month. But uh, I was also a, a mountain biker, and I was a, a day trader, and my shift um, was 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. And the way I got into online trading was I would trade in the mornings on the West Coast here because the stock market opens at 6.30. I'd trade till 1, and then I'd go to work and you know be my day job, which was being a cop. Uh, and I went looking for a conference or a group or some thing that I could go and meet other traders. And there wasn't a lot out there. This was before day trading really became a fad and and became talked about. So I started just getting people on the phone and recording our conversations about trading. And that was without, you know, knowing what the heck a podcast was. That word didn't even exist back then. That's basically what we were doing. Didn't have an RSS feed. I was just throwing the the, the MP3 file up as a full-blown link uh, on the site. And that was the extent of it. But my first website was in, you know, Netscape Navigator Editor or whatever it was called. It was this cheesy background and every piece of text was centered. It was all in a different font and a different color with the <laughs> with the with the email icon, you know, that swirly thing that goes into the mailbox, all those cheesy things that we had when the internet came out. So that was my first kind of experience of building content. And then my first real podcast was on the mountain biking side. I started a podcast called Endurance Radio, and it was all about mountain biking, triathlon, um, anything like that, marathon running. And that was actually the first podcast that um, I actually started and then sold later. That was an ad-based podcast. So um, that's kind of the brief intro of how I got into it. So, okay, let's go back to Endurance Radio here. You started this. Now, were you an actual marathon runner? I know you're doing mountain biking, but you were a marathon runner too? I wasn't. Um, I hate running uh, with a passion. <laughs> even even in the academy, I mean, after seven months of going on these 10-mile and 12-mile death runs, I still hated it to the very end. Uh, but a lot of my friends were into it, and the, and the people that I met out on the mountain biking trails, the only reason I got into the endurance part of it was because a lot of them were doing these Xterra triathlons where it's mountain biking, swimming, and running. And so I started just talking to them about mountain biking, and that led to other things, including triathlon and running. So I knew enough about it to ask good questions, but 
uh, knew enough also about it that I hated doing it, but <laughs> enjoyed talking to other people about it. So how much time a week were you spending on endurance radio? Yeah, I would say maybe four or five hours a week mm-hmm. in terms of maybe getting some advertiser calls in, calling and arranging the interviews, uploading content, editing audio, getting the transcripts done and edited up a little bit. So yeah, about 45, four to five hours a week is all it was taken. And was this just 100% you or your brother involved with this too? Or Emil wasn't involved yet. I stole him away from uh, his job as a software engineer a couple of years after that. So um, you know, he took like a 90% pay cut to come work with me, which was, was, <laughs> was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm not sure about for him. I <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and it was advertising based and that's how it was making money then, huh? It was. And one of the interesting things we found out ab- about it was that a lot of triathletes were actually attorneys. I don't know if it was that type A personality thing where, you know, they're successful in all kinds of areas and always pushing themselves. But for whatever reason, we when we did our first survey about who was listening to our podcast, we found out we had probably forty percent were attorneys, and may have that that may have been people started talking about it within their groups and you know other attorneys talking to other people who were into triathlon, and so our first advertiser was a, a law service that provided court case court law court, case law updates, uh, which w- for a lot of people they're like, why in the world would a case law update company? advertise on endurance radio um and it was just this weird thing where we found out it was the right audience and they loved it and they renewed and so we got a couple of different ones got some bike companies and some you know power bar type companies to come in and do it as well it never made a ton of money it probably you know based on how much time we were spending on it it was it was profitable but it was nothing i could ever quit my job over or anything like that but it was a really interesting kind of uh education as to what it would take to make a podcast make money when you built it up to its, I guess, its strongest position, what kind of money was it making? Yeah, I, you know, I think I have to go back and look at, at the figures. I think back then I was charging $500 per episode and we put out one a week. So look, we're talking $2,000 a month. Uh, you know, if you calculate that out on an hourly basis, I don't know what that is an hour, but it was, it was good, nice spending money. And since I still had my job as a cop, it was, you know, cool money, extra money to, you know, make a part of a car payment or part of a house payment, that sort of thing. So sure. it was certainly worth doing. So now, at what point did you decide, I, I want to sell this? Or how, how did you come to that decision? Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I've never really owned a business beyond trader interviews for more than four years because the entrepreneur in me, it's, you know, it's not ADD. I don't want to say that. That's, that's too easy. But I get bored really easy with my sites. Um, and so once, even with the trade show stuff, I sold, I would get up in the morning and the, the moment I felt like I sat down at my computer and that I had to do something I didn't want to do is bam, I'm done. I'm like, let me find a buyer for this because I'm, I'm really interested in starting things and I, I love doing that and getting things rolling and ramped up. I am not a great manager of saying, okay, we're now at this level. What kind of things can we do to get it to the next level? That's not my forte. And so I woke up one morning and had to get on a phone and talk to somebody about mountain biking and thought, I don't really feel like doing this today. And that's, for me, is always the key to say, you're done. And if it lasts more than about 24 hours, <laughs> I know I got to go out and find a buyer. So uh, luckily, there was I reached out to a couple of people who I thought might be interested. I think none of them worked out, but somebody they referred me to uh, was interested, and I sold it for, I don't know, I think I sold it for some somewhere in the teens, like $16,000, $17,000, I want to say. Um, which then was a nice paycheck, right? I mean, the site was making two grand a month. So, you know, it was, you know, 10 times, 12 times earnings, a little less than that, I guess, uh, when it was all said and done in terms of net. So, uh, yeah, it worked out really nicely. And it was, I think, one, if if not the very first podcast that somebody ever sold to anybody else. What are the mechanics of selling a show like that? You know, it's, it's hard for a lot of podcasters to do because you... For most of them, which is the right way to do it, you've got to build yourself as the host, as the star of the show. And to transfer that over to somebody else can be really tough. I mean, they have to feel like they can get on the phone and talk and, and create that personality for the show. So you're going to lose some some listeners, but I think you're going to gain some too. I'm sure some people are sick and tired of hearing my you know nasally whiny voice. on the, on the <laughs> Some of them were probably thrilled that I was gone. It was somebody else doing the interviews. Uh, and the person that took it over was a triathlete, so it was a good fit. They had connections within the industry. They had connections with some advertisers. I introduced my advertisers to them, uh, and and so it was an easier transition than most of the time. I think people really have a tough time 
trying to step out of that when they are the podcast. That makes it a lot tougher to sell. But in this case, it was just a really good fit. So I got really lucky. And at the time you were doing everything. So really, so what they were buying was the, basically the website, the audience. Exactly. And, and thankfully they, they had some help, but you know, I, I helped in terms of here's how you do some audio editing and that sort of thing, all that stuff, all those things you take for granted that we just do every day so quickly and uploading to an FTP site, even that kind of thing for someone who's not used to it can be a real bear. And so you have to kind of dedicate yourself to, I'm going to have to spend some time to educate these people on how we do this and how this works. And, you know, for the right paycheck, you got to decide whether or not that's worth it for you to take the time out to do that. For me, it was worth it. It was, I wanted to see the site continue on, uh, you know, closing it down is always an option, but if you can make a, you know, one final payday out of it, that's always the best. Was it set up as its own company or something or its own somehow entity that and it was there paperwork? Wasn't. It was just part of it. Uh, it was part of the ideas. I think back then it was called TNC new media, which is TNC. It's just my, my name, my wife and my daughter's first initials. And I, it was just a part of that. So when we sold it off, they wrote the check to our corporate company, you know, our main company. And, and that was that. But, you know, I transferred domains and transferred everything else, and they got their own hosting set up. And, um, and it's, the site's still going on today. It's called Endurance Planet. I think they've, they've uh, expanded a little bit, but it's still going on today. It's still a podcast. Very nice. Now, where in this was the Portable Media Expo or the New Media Expo? Where, where was that? Uh, how did that come into play, I guess, in the midst of all this? Right. So what was what happened with and the way endurance radio became a podcast was again when i first started it, it was just a straight mp3 link on each on each uh, page and i went i took a lot of these endurance athletes they spend hours on the road running hours on the bike running i mean they're training for 6 7 hours a day sometimes getting ready for these huge ironman triathlons and i started to get these emails from them saying hey i love your stuff but i mean i need an easy way to get this over to my mp3 player i don't even think the ipod was out by then and I, so I said, all right, well, let, let me see if there's a way we can somehow transfer these automatically somehow, right? And this, this was like six months after the word podcast came into being. So I did a Google search for transfer audio to MP3 player automatically or some crazy thing like that. And like third or fourth result was this word podcast. And there was just this uh, blogger kind of forum that was talking about podcasts and how you use an RSS feed. I didn't have any idea what an RSS feed was. Uh, and and I thought, well, this is it, though. This, this is an automatic way through an RSS feed to transfer. And so my audience basically told me what they needed, and that led me to podcasting. When I saw that this was around, it was just getting started. There were a lot of people asking questions, a lot of people needing answers, and very passionate about it. And I thought the trade show guy and me, because from starting the day trading expo, knew, wow, this has potential to be a show. Because anytime you get people that are this passionate about it and are you know, desperate for answers about how to do it, that's a great idea for a show. So we started one in 2005. It was called uh, the Podcast Expo. Um, and I think the very first one was Podcast and Portable Media Expo. Because back then, the thought was podcasting is all about portability. You know, it's all about these devices. And that really turned out not to be, it was, it was more just about, you know, getting content easily no matter what you're on. But back then, I thought portability is why podcasting exists. And for me, that was why it existed well. Um, and then we started the show. You started the show, I, I, which I attended. I'm not sure I went to the very first one. I think I might have gone to the second one for the first time. But this is a seriously, that show absolutely changed my life. That's where I got to see uh, Don McAllister talk about how he was making a full time living from his podcast, Screencasts Online. Yep. And it was he was conducting a session, and I I had gone in there with the idea that I was burnt out on my podcast, and I was going to be quitting. I was thinking about quitting seriously thinking about it. And then I saw how he's actually making money from it. And so I thought, you know what, I might as well start try charging for it using this whole membership idea and see if it works. Because worst case scenario, I'm thinking about shutting it down anyway. And it turned out to be exactly what I needed to do. And it totally changed my life forever. And it was because of that forum. So I, That's cool. I'm always thanking him for that. But I suppose I should probably also be thanking you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, that makes you feel good that, that it, it worked for a lot of people that first couple of shows. The very first one was interesting because there were probably maybe 500 podcasts at that point, and almost everybody knew everybody else. It was the, the industry was that small. You almost knew everybody else that had a podcast, and it was really cool to go through the hallways and listen to people say, hey, oh, you know, they look down at the guy's name badge. They've never seen this person before, but they look at the name badge. They, they realize, oh, I've been listening to you for six months. Those first couple of shows were really neat. I, I had a lot of fun with them. Now, how many, uh, I guess how many years did that show go on? So <clears throat> we did that for two years. Three years. We had two in Ontario, one in Las Vegas, and um, 
it was again one of those things where I woke up one day and thought, man, I really don't want to call. I don't want to call anybody for booth space today to, to be an exhibitor at our show. And, you know, lasted more than 24 hours. So, boom, what do I do? I pick up the phone and I call Blog World. And Rick Calvert, who I, uh, who I knew from previous trade show stuff, he's, he's been in the trade show business for a while, too. And I said, Rick, feel like buying Podcast Expo. <laughs> Probably not the best way to negotiate a sale of anything is to call up. I mean, right, you're always supposed to be approached and then you go back and forth. But for me, you know, if the price is fair, I think you can get to that point even if you make that first phone call. And that's what I did. So you called him up and said, do you want to buy my expo? Yeah, basically. <laughs> and he and I had been talking about it, too, so I don't know that it was a tremendous surprise for him. He was having great success with Blog World. And at that time, podcasting was no longer kind of this own, its own industry. It was just one more thing in the list of ways you deliver content, whether it yeah. be blogs or Twitter or anything like that. So it, it almost it needed to be part of another show rather than its own thing because – it, marketing people were just using it as one more way. It was no longer kind of this brand new, neat new thing that you're a podcaster. You know, these days you're a podcaster, a blogger, you follow, you Twitter, you have Facebook. So it just made sense. So, so far I see, I mean, there's two major things here. Number one, you sold your, your podcast, which I hadn't heard of people doing, you know, before, but it totally makes sense that you could do it. And then number two, you sold a trade show. Is this, are these like the first times you sold businesses or had you previously sold businesses, you know, quote businesses before? Or? Yeah. The very first business I sold was, um, was the day trading expo and that I had business partners on that one and, and we had attorneys involved I and mean, that was a much bigger deal with a much bigger paycheck. But that's kind of my thing. I mean, I've always, as an entrepreneur, I'm, I am not one of those guys that is going to start a business and retire with that same business 30 years. I mean, I'm like, start something, build it up, see what it's worth, sell it off. Start something, build it up, see what it's worth, sell it off. <laughs> that's kind of been my thing. And it's, it's worked out because I get to do whatever I feel like doing that day. And the moment I feel like I don't want to do it anymore, I'm done with it. So what are you doing now? So now it's trader interviews. That's the majority of the company. Um, and so we do a paid podcast where we have annual memberships. We have lifetime memberships. Uh, we've, we've played with monthly memberships. We're, it's, it's both our testing ground for what works, and we try new things with it all the time. But it's also the main you know, bulk of our revenue for our company. So a couple questions about trader interviews. Uh, actually, I have quite a few questions about this. My understanding is that you were a trader, a day trader yourself. So this is an example of you actually building a business around something you were personally doing. Right. Uh, okay. And it, Which I think is important. I mean, I think it, it, when it comes from that place, I think you're gonna, your chances of success are a lot better. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that you got sick of after four years and quit. No, because I'm still trading. And so surprisingly, I've, it's kept my interest and I still enjoy getting on the phone and talking to traders. Uh, and so I haven't gotten to that day. Now, could that happen tomorrow? Perhaps. I doubt it. I mean, I, I still feel like I've got a lot, a lot of people I still need to talk to, a lot of questions about my own trading. Uh, so I, I don't see that coming anytime soon. I, one of the questions I have for you, which I'm going to get to here in a little bit, I want to cover some other things too, but I, I'm definitely, you mentioned the prices that you charge and I know I'm interested in how you uh, came up with those prices and stuff like that, but I don't want to, I don't want to go there yet because I want to talk about some of the other stuff that's involved first. Like, sure. like, uh, you're, you know, you basically stock trading is an extremely competitive niche on the web. It is, I, I you know, it's gotta be one of the very most competitive things, you know, how to make money by trading stocks, you know, and, uh, how do you thrive in such a competitive market like that? How do you get yeah. noticed? How do you have an audience? It is tougher because there's so much out there, but the good thing about it, well, good thing or bad thing is there's so much crap too. I mean, it is like the get rich quick garbage. You can't even imagine the crap that's out there for sale. I mean, and 90% of it is pure rubbish, truly. <laughs> so the good thing is that if you have a good product, you can stand out pretty easily. Um, there's so much noise out there and people are so... They get spammed by all kinds of penny stock stuff. And not to say the penny stock stuff is a bad thing, but it's got a bad reputation. And there's courses out there that are $10,000 that supposedly teach you how to trade and turn $2,000 into a million dollars and retire wealthy. All that stuff, people really start to see through that. So the reason I think Trader Interviews works is because my, my whole selling point, my whole unique thing is I go out and find traders who have nothing to sell who I have to talk into it. I have to get favors from friends to get them on the phone with me. Some of these guys I've, you know, I've been talking to for a year and a half just to get them on the phone and talk with me. 
So my whole thing is, look, there's a lot of garbage out there. Trader News is not going to teach you how to trade, but I'm going to go out and talk to people that you wouldn't otherwise be able to hear from who make their money trading, and I'm going to ask them how they do it. And that just that alone makes it really unique. And I think the, the reason it's stuck for me is because I have all these contacts that I've had for 15 years that I've developed. And so for somebody to be able to duplicate that is going to be really tough. It's going to, it's going to be, you know, even, even the guys that have heard of me, I sometimes have a hard time getting on the phone because there's nothing in it for them to talk to me. So I really have to like call in a lot of favors to get this to, to happen. But that's what makes it unique. And I, and I think it is what helps me sell the membership so much more easily than I would otherwise because I'm not trying to sell a $10,000 course that promises to make you a millionaire. The video that people get when they sign up for my email newsletter is very realistic about what this is all about and why I'm doing this and why people are talking to me. So I think just that straightforward approach, especially in this industry, is what works. Mm -hmm. Are these people that you interview, are they, you know, quote, celebrities in the industry? Are they, are they names that other people have heard of? No, very rarely. And actually, that's a benefit. So what I tell them is these are the best traders you've never heard of. And so I almost don't want the celebrity because you, typically those are the folks that have a program to sell, which is not to say they don't have something good to say. But the, 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 the whole thing that I sell my membership, the benefit of being a member of my site, are these are guys that you've never heard of but are mean, they're living in the markets. Maybe some are making 500000 a year. Some of these guys are making $22, $23 million a year. So I think what the, the top guy I've ever interviewed is making a year. And some of them trade in prop firms, in, in offices with other traders. Other guys trade from home in you know, Seattle, Washington, wherever they may be. So, yeah, the whole selling proposition for me is that nobody's ever heard of these guys, and yet they're making their living trading. What kind of time is involved with running this business for you? Yeah, this one takes a lot more because um, it, it takes a lot of time to get some of these traders on the phone. Um, I, I, we spend a lot of time tweaking the site and you know, doing search engine optimization and tweaking the podcast to see what works, what doesn't work. Um, and so man managing that paid site, this takes a little more time. I, I would say, and when I say a little more time, I say we're probably working between Emil and I 20 to 25 hours a week on this. Um, because we have other, you know, we have other parts of our small company, affiliate marketing and other things that we do. Uh, but just getting everybody all this arranged and actually doing this and for the size of this membership site, it's a lot more work than, than the other endurance stuff was. And how long has it been in business, trader interviews? You know, it was a free site for the first five years. And so making that transition to a paid site was, a, was, was tough. Um, and so it's been around, I think that we, I registered the domain name in 1999. Um, and we put it as a free site, and I tried to make it work with advertising. But there just wasn't enough volume of people on the, 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 on the site to make advertisers interested. E-Trade was not going to come to me. and They just weren't interested in writing a check for $500 or $1,000 even to, to advertise on a podcast. I mean, these guys do New York Times and CNBC. So we went from a free site to a paid site, and that was a tough transition. We got a lot of hate mail <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Um, but it was, I was at that point, we were, I, you know, when Emil and I talked, we said, look, the choice is either we shut it down, and then that's it, or we try to sell it off, or... Um, we switch it to a membership site because we know that this is great content. It's worth paying for, but if we're not making enough money to make it worth our time as an advertising site, then, then we need to make it a membership site. And for 99% of the content creators out there, membership or some sort of paid content is the way to go, not advertising. None of us have just have an, enough volume of eyeballs to make it work with advertising. In terms of numbers, what was your traffic like when it was a free site right before you went to paid? Yeah, so I want to say we would get about nine to 10,000 uniques a month, uh, resulting page views, maybe double that. So it wasn't a lot. I mean, it was the right audience, but for whatever reason, we just could never get that momentum going where we would see that page views coming up, you know, up and up and up. And when you've got these other sites that are forums or whatever, that are doing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of page views a month, we just couldn't compete with that, which is why we switched it over to a membership site. And then when you went to membership, what was your initial price that you were charging? Uh, yeah, I have to remember back what it was. Uh, I think we charged $249 for a year membership. And then we also played with a $39 a month membership as well. And we don't offer that anymore. The monthly membership, we just offer just the annual or the lifetime membership now. That's interesting. Why did you move away from the monthly price? Because we found it was purely a business decision. We found in, in this space, in trading space, even though we try to attract 
not attract the get rich quick uh, crowd. Our our stick stick rate for the monthly members was only about two or three months. It was pretty short, which was still uh, a lot longer. I mean, most people in that business, it's a month and that's it. Most people do not renew after that first month. So we just found that we could make more money if we charged more for an annual membership than if we tried to get them to stick for the whole month and make a little bit more on that monthly membership. So it was purely a business decision. And did has there been any change in terms of what they get when they sign up or is – I mean, other than the number of episodes or number of interviews, yeah. that they, is there anything else that's changed about what they get? Well, so when we first started, we did a monthly membership, but everything that was on the site today, if you canceled tomorrow and you came back in six months, you got everything that was done in that six months. So it was really silly. I mean, you really you could sign up for one month for once a year and get everything you missed for the year that you weren't there, right? It's just <laughs> sense at all. Um, and so we did this thing, Emil, you know, he's a, he's a really terrific programmer. He programmed this thing where only the rolling first, only the, the, the previous rolling four months were available to, to monthly members. So if you quit and then you started up again in a year, you didn't get everything that was showed up in that, that previous year that you weren't a member. So that solved that problem, but we still just didn't get the stick rate that we wanted to. There just wasn't, uh, you know, trading – it's, it's, it's a tough business in terms of getting people to stay on board. I think a lot of people try it. Maybe they lose their trading account. If they start with $1,000 at Schwab or something, they blow it out. They lose all that on something, and then they're done until they get some more money and want to start, to get, start up again. So we, just, it was just a, we made more profit by, by only selling the annual as the lowest amount. Now, by the way, for anybody listening, Emil is Tim's brother, so, and you guys are partners. Uh, exactly. For, yeah, we're fifty fifty owners in the business. Okay, Tra- on Trader Interviews and InterviewIncome.com? Yes, okay. uh, the, the business is actually called Ideas for Download, which owns all of those properties. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, very good. So, so we, you know, we started with that annual membership, uh, and I, I could talk if you want about how we then get most people to become lifetime members by offering occasionally the lifetime membership at the annual price. That's really what's worked for us. Okay, yeah, let, let's hear about that. Okay, so <laughs> our, our, annual, our lifetime membership is 1500 bucks, and the annual membership is $499. So, and we were getting some good pickup on the annual memberships, but one time, at one point I thought, you know what? It was at the end of the year. I think it was at the end of the year in 2009. I said, let's try something. Let's, for four days, the very last four days of 2009, until midnight on the 31st, let's offer the lifetime membership for the annual price and see what happens. And we had a list, I think, of about 8,000 emails. And in those last four days, I think we sold probably 150 memberships at $499. Let me pull out my calculator here really quick and do this because I'm not smart enough to do it in my mind. Times 150. So we made almost $75,000 in four days. And I thought, hmm, that is pretty sweet. <laughs> let's, uh, let's see if this works twice a year. And so for some people that want to join right now, they still pay us the annual rate. But the, uh, I would say probably 60% of our memberships are lifetime memberships that we sold for the annual membership price. And if somebody buys an, uh, an annual membership and then two months later we put it on sale and they want it, we give it to them. And we're not, we're not sticklers about that. But there's something about offering a lifetime membership. People love the fact that they don't have to worry about checking their credit card statement every month, that they don't have to worry about paying another dime, that they don't have to ever worry about forgetting about the subscription and having them you know, get their credit card charged every month. There's a lot of benefits to doing that. Now, it does theoretically tie us into providing content for life. But let's be honest with it. I mean, it's, it's really about who forgets about the subscription first, right? I mean, <laughs> honestly, that's what it's about. We don't see our, us doing it. If we ever decide to sell the site, we'd say, hey, these people are grandfathered in. you got to keep providing content. And if I wanted to find a buyer for it, I think we could, you know, because there's a, that, the industry's big enough that we could do that. But to anybody listening, I think you've got to try a lifetime membership because people love that fact that they don't have to worry about paying again and worrying about checking their credit card statement every month. Did you ever just have one price that you would charge? Just you were, in other words, instead of having the two different pricing with the two different options, you were just offering one? I think we did play with that. We played with that both on a monthly basis and an annual basis. We just found that two choices 
was the best return. We got more pickup, more conversion when it was just two choices. Some people find out that three choices. I've seen membership sites, though, with five or six choices, and I think people just get overwhelmed. They look at that and they think, I'll decide tomorrow. And then, of course, tomorrow becomes the next day and the next day. So you don't want to offer too many choices. I really feel like one, uh, you know, two, three max, and that's it. Don't offer 15 different types of memberships. It just confuses people and that leads to indecision. Now, uh, one thing I, w I have to ask is when you offer this promotion and you're offering the lifetime membership at the annual rate, so it's a German, I mean, it's like one third the price, the difference between $500 and $1,500, right? So. Right. So they're getting, you know, $1,500 of value for $500. That's the perception, and that's the reality for them during those first few, day, those few days, and you do this a couple times a year. Do you ever have anybody that emails you and says, hey, I just, pay, I just paid the full price like four days ago, and now you're offering it for 500 bucks? You know, you'd be surprised. If somebody does it within 30 days, the kind of unwritten rule we've said to ourselves is if somebody buys the lifetime membership within 30 days, I email them and say, hey, by the way, we're going to put this thing on sale uh, in, in about three weeks. And so I'm going to refund you, you know, your thousand bucks. Um, so, and, and everybody else who's been outside of that 30 days, um, has, we never had a complaint about it. Yeah. I, you know, it, maybe it's the fact that these people are, um, are wealthy anyway. So they don't, you know, they don't, to them it's no big deal because they've got large trading accounts anyway. But we just never had a complaint about it. And I think people... Oftentimes when they're talking about membership stuff, I think they worry about it uh, a, a little bit too much. I think if, as long as you're fair with people and you're not the next day doing it and they don't get that same price, uh, I, I think you're going to be fine. Yeah, very good. Now, your price, uh, your price point, I, I assume it's attached to the fact that you're talking about, you know, it's a, it's a website about people, strategies for making money. So your price point's higher than what the average, you know, membership site out there is charging. Um, have you tested different price points other than the 500 and the 1500 to see what, you know, other, other than just like the monthly revenue? I mean, have you tested different price points for the exact same products that you're offering now? We have, and we found that the 499 um, is, is the best conversion. It, well, it may not be the best conversion. It is the price point at which we get enough members that the percentage makes sense. Um, at a lower price, we got the same amount of members. So you get to this point where we've tested different things. At 249, we got as many uh, uh, annual and lifetime memberships as we got at 499. When we upped it to 999, we got about 20%. Mm -hmm. So you realize, you know, you, you have to test it and get to this point where you're making as much money as possible and converting as many people as possible, but not losing a lot of people. So you'll find this kind of area where it's, there's a price that makes the most sense for you financially. I made up this term for this because uh, I've, I've done the same thing and I made up the term. Anybody can quote me on this. It's called the sweet spot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I yeah. didn't make that up. I'm just kidding. Everybody no, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it, and it takes a little bit of time, but you'll find it. And keeping good spreadsheet and keeping good data about it is important because it's what tells you where that price point is. You know, for a, 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 a small site that is, there's a lot of competition with free content, you know, that may be nine bucks a month you're going to make the most money instead of you trying to charge twenty four ninety five. So it all depends. I mean, in, in, in the trading business, people are willing to spend more money because obviously the knowledge that you give them can lead to more than that. So it's worth it for them. How many members do you have? So over the years, between lifetime members, uh, monthly members that are still grandfathered in, we still have those people, believe it or not. Uh, and once they get to the lifetime membership, we turn off their membership and make them lifetime with no more further payments. Um, and, and then freebies we've thrown out there once in a while, our contests, kind of everything. It's about 2,000 members. That's great. And then what kind of revenue did this site, I guess, alone generate for you last year? Yeah, so last year uh, it generated about $275,000. And uh, this year we're on track to do about 20% better than that. That's great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's – and we're, we're constantly tweaking it, being the capitalist pigs that we are to, try to, that, to make that as much as possible. But, you know, I think for a lot of content creators, there's this almost like this. And you, Izzy, you probably know from the whole podcasting, there's this guilt somehow that, man, I shouldn't be making this much money, Mike. I mean, it's really not that hard. All I do is get on the phone with somebody. But you have to realize that your, your content is valuable. It is worth something to somebody. And 
If you want to go the advertising route, that route that's fine, but don't feel guilty about charging and charging a lot. You put hard work into this. You should be compensated well for the stuff that you create. And is this just you and Emil, or is there anybody else involved with your company? No, nope, that's it. It's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I work, we both work from home. He's up in the Bay Area. I'm down here in Southern California. Um, yeah, so it's just a couple of us. Yeah, I mean, a, a membership site that's making $300,000 a year is got to be in the top very small percentage of membership sites out there. There's, yeah, there's you know, very few. And, yeah, and there are people that can do it from, from day one, but you know, we started this in 99. So you got to realize that it's not like we turned the switch and bam, we're making 300K a year and you know, eating you know, steak and drinking Mai Tais. I mean, it took, it took a long time to build our email list, to build the relationship with people, to, to get them to trust us. We've been around for a long time, so it does take time. You can start making money right away. You know, whether you make 300K or 500K, is, you know, it, it depends. It's different for everybody. And you, you, you talked about emails a couple times in the list. You, I, I know you have an email list. I've received emails from you. I think I'm, I'm on your list. What is, a, you know, what is the size of your list, and how often are you emailing these people? So, yeah, so our list size, it's just about 15,000. Uh, and it's double opt-in. Uh, I've always, I, I've gone back and forth with that over the years, but uh, we found that double opt-in, if they're not even willing to click that first email, they're probably not going to be much value to us as a subscriber anyway. So real quickly, I just described, we're kind of a modified double opt-in. In other words, when they sign up for an email, they get taken to a confirmation page that says, hey, check your email. By the way, here's a video about what we're all about. So they watch this video while they're waiting for the email to come in. We use aweber.com. When the email comes in, the link that is the confirmation link that says confirm that you want to be on this list takes them directly to the piece of content we're offering as the bribe to get them to sign up for the list, which is an hour audio interview, kind of a sampling of what we do. So they're confirming and being taken directly to the content at the same time. So a lot of double opt-in people started with, you click on the confirmation link, then you've got to wait again for another email with the actual content. We, uh, that's, that's silly. If you're doing that, don't do that. Immediately take them to the content. Because once they've confirmed... You, why not take them to the next, you know, take them right to that piece of content. So that's, it's a kind of a modified double opt-in and about half of our subscribers, uh, confirm, which to me is still baffling. I, you know, we've played with the subject line about what to send them. Click here to get the free content. You just requested 30 seconds ago. Why aren't you clicking on this? <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, what, what in the world are these? I, so we're still trying to figure that out. You know, after three years, why the hell only 50% of our people are confirming? I guess it's a, from what, from talking to other people, that's still a decent percentage. I mean, a lot of people are a lot lower, twenty percent, I guess. Um, so anyway, we're still working on that. I don't know where I was going with all this. Oh, our email list, right? So, <laughs> so about fifteen thousand double opt-ins. We clean it up every. You know, Aweber of course deletes people after thirty days if they've bounced links and things like that. So it's a very responsive list. We email once a week, sometimes more. Our autoresponder uh, funnel is twenty-six emails sent out on Saturday mornings, which we, was the day we found out gets the best open rate and click-through rate. So the moment they subscribe, if we don't send them anything else, they're getting emails for half a year, six months. Uh, and we've kind of set it up that way so that, you know, if we're on, we could take a vacation, we don't have to worry that they're still getting regular contact with us, which is very important when you talk about kind of keeping your email list fresh and responsive. How, how often are you emailing them then? At the very least, once a week, uh, at the very most, three times a week. So if we've got a promotion going on, we're doing the lifetime membership for the annual price, or we're doing some affiliate uh, webinar, a paid webinar with a partner site, um, then we'll, at the very most, three times. I mean, we've played with every day. We've played with every other day. And for this audience, other audiences are different, I think, but for this audience, they'll tolerate and stay subscribed and stay responsive at the max three times a week. And we don't want to do it three times a week every week. It's kind of three times, then once, then twice, then once, then three times. You know, you want to break it up, but we just found max three. So uh, can I pop in here? Uh, on that, are you sending a, a mixture of content and a pitch, or are some yeah. of your emails just strictly a, a sales a message? Yes, good. So at least one email a week is pure content. We're not asking them to buy anything. We're not asking them to do anything except for listen, watch, Check this out. Good article. Great video. Pure content free. At least one other one, if we're sending it, is a pure pitch. And then the third one might be half pitch, half content. Um, I'm a big proponent of people are scared once they get you as a subscriber 
to pitch you. And my thing is, I'm going to send you like the, we don't purely pitch them until the third week they're a subscriber. So the first two weeks, they get nothing but I think it's two emails the first week and three the second week that is pure content. But at the very bottom of some of them, I say, look, at some point, we may try to sell you something. If you know, I try to be funny about it and kind of the the confirmation email they get is like, hey, we're going to give you some great information about this topic. But at some point, we may ask you to buy something, too. So, you know, if you're you're against capitalism and grandma's apple pie, then feel free to unsubscribe right now. (laughs) Don't be offended. But I think if you wait too long, if all you do is give them free stuff for six months and then that six months, you'll get, okay, now they really like me because I've given them all this free stuff. Now I'm going to pitch them because they love me. It actually backfires on you because they are so used to getting free stuff from you all the time. The moment you ask them to buy something, they're like, ah, forget it. You know, you, I thought you were different than all the other people I've dated, you know, whatever you want to be, you want to get them of the mindset right away that we're a business we are going to give you great content, but we're going to ask you to buy something once in a while. And, and you know, if somebody, after you've given them three or four weeks or two or three weeks of free content, unsubscribes after you send them the very first pitch email, that's fine because you know what? They're not valuable to be on your list anyway. You right. want people that like free content, but you want them people on the list too that are willing to hear about stuff that you want to sell to them too. And if they're not even li- willing to listen to that first pitch email, let them go. Don't worry about it. You're going to get a lot of unsubscribes on that first one. Those are all people you don't want on your list anyway. Can, can we talk a little bit on the technical side? Because I know a lot of our listeners uh, always have questions about like, well, what should I be using? Right. Izzy and I talk a lot about uh, using WordPress because it's so easy to manage your content as as a content management system, not as just a blog. But we, we, we've been using Wishlist. Izzy's got a member on, on his Izzy video. And I see that on Trader Interviews, you're using a member. What was the decision process for picking the actual tools necessary to run this business? Right. So with Trader Interviews, that was a, an older site that's not WordPress that is, you know, if I didn't have a meal, I'd be screwed because that site takes a lot of work programming-wise because it's not WordPress. So the reason we went with a member on that site was because the the – the WordPress type plugins just weren't a good fit for what we already had going. We already had a merchant account going. We already had all the software that builds the, the member area and that sort of thing. So we needed something that would plug into that pretty seamlessly. And when I say seamlessly, it means it still takes a programmer, Emil, to maintain that and install that. So that's why we did a member. We love a member, but if I was, I tell everybody, if I was going to start over again today, and we do with these other sites, these sites we're testing, we use WordPress, and I would either use Wishlist member or Magic members. Both of those are WordPress plugins. Um, I know the guys from Wishlist, great guys. They do great updates. I, I like that one a lot. Some people have uh, like they like Magic Members. We're using that on another one too uh, because it's not a monthly fee and it just fit well. I think it's, at one point Wishlist didn't have direct integration with AuthorizedNet. That may have changed, but AuthorizedNet was our payment processor for our credit cards, and so we needed something to use that. Magic Members did. Um, so. Yes, WordPress, no question. Anybody starting something today would be crazy not to use WordPress and one of those plugins just because there are so many people out there that can help you on Elance or at the company directly. And so many people know WordPress. It's so uh, customizable. It's definitely what I would go with. How do you find new people to come to your website? What are your marketing things that you're doing? Yeah, that's something we're always toying with. But we, we found the best way is to is through email. Emailers are our best sales too. For all of the talk about, you know, RSS is going to be the new way people consume content and everything else, email is still our number one sales tool by far. But I mean, just by far, like 90% and everything else is 10%. So what that means is you've got to build your email list. And this is not news to anybody. This is, you know, what everybody's probably been saying to you. But the way we found the best way to build our list with the right audience, which is also important, is we go out and find other sites that are doing legitimate good work in selling something. They've got a list, we've got a list, and we say, we're going to give your list something for free. You give our list something for free. Let's not pitch either one of them right away. So I'll email a message to you, to my list, on your behalf saying, hey, here's a great piece of content. Here's a video that was made about trading IBM. Go check it out. You email to your list. Yeah, you email to your list that, hey, Tim's giving away a one-hour free audio interview with six traders that are making their livings as traders go download or you know go download that and so we build each other's list up that way by getting opt-ins that way then 
Then once I get them into the sales funnel, once I get them into the email list, then I can pitch them down the road once they see who we are and they trust us and that sort of thing. So just exchanging email messages with like-minded sites that also have a good, solid audience is what works best. Um, you know, we've done my, my, my email list. The next question becomes then, okay, if I've got only got, if I've got no email list and somebody else I want to them to mail for me has got a hundred thousand, how do I make that? You know, you're gonna have a tough time telling them what's in it for them. And, and for most of those guys, you could tell them, and we have people come to us all the time. Hey, I'll offer you 300 bucks or hundred percent of the commission. If you put the affiliate, you're, you're, if you send this affiliate offer to your list and I think, you know what, we're making good money already. I don't want to send crap out to my list and ruin that response rate. So our, our list is really responsive. I mean, I get 40, 45% open rates all the time, 25, 26% click rates, which is phenomenal in this business. Um, and so if somebody's got a list of 50,000, I can almost assure them that my list of 12,000 or 15,000 is going to blow their list of 50,000 away, unless they've built it the right way, unless I know they've built it the same way we've built ours. Uh, which is double opt-in, that modified double opt-in, plus just always going out to the right audience, right? I could build a list tomorrow of 100,000 people, but I guarantee it would be crap because it's not the right audience. And you want to make sure, I'd rather, much rather build it slowly. So be careful of what you, what you email out. You know, uh, partner with those people that are building it and that have the same mindset about building their business the way you do, and you're, you're going to be much better off. So typically I'll tell them, look, if you if you okay, you got a list of seventy five thousand. I've only got fifteen thousand. My guess is that my fifteen thousand will probably do about as good as your seventy five thousand. And sure enough, most of the time it happens. If it doesn't, maybe I'll if, if you know if they if they get more opt ins than I do, or, or vice versa, I'll email twice for them. You know, the next month I'll email again for them, and they don't email for me to to make it even. But you want to have it equitable. Very cool. Very cool. Can you tell us a, a, maybe a well, actually, let me let me ask this. Are these folks that you're teaming up with, are they usually what, you know, somebody might think of as a competitor? They could be. Um, we're all certainly, if you're talking about competing for dollars in that industry, would they buy a membership to my site or buy a membership to theirs or buy their course rather than my membership? Absolutely. I mean, I guess if you think of it that way, but the way I feel is, you know, the, the world's big enough, the industry is big enough that... It's not something I have to worry about. We're, I'm not taking money out of their pocket and vice versa. We're just introducing each other's audiences to, uh, to each other, and they may not have heard about us. And I'd say about half of our membership is international. So we really are talking about the entire world here, and we're not just talking about the U.S. So I think for most people, it's, 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 they don't have to have that concern. The world's big enough for all of us. Mm-hmm. How, how often are you doing this team-up thing where you're cross-promoting like this? I try to do it once a month, but I don't always find somebody – once a month that in this space that I can do it with, that I trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a handful and once, once in a while I come across somebody who I haven't heard of that has got a smaller list and maybe I'll email half my list and they email their whole list. Um, so, you know, it's been harder and harder as we've tried to do this once a month. But I mean, if I could do it once a month, I feel like my list is still growing and, uh, and I'm still getting rid of people that are not good prospects. The last time that you did this, what were you giving away to this other person's list to attract them over to your site? Yeah, it's the same thing I give away to anybody who comes to my site, which is that one-hour audio interview with it's, – it's one trader for like 45 minutes and then snippets of kind of the best of, of five other traders I've interviewed. And so it's always been the same thing. So I've lately been thinking about switching that up a little bit and changing it out um, because we've been giving away the same thing for about a year now, and I think – uh, it might be getting time to to do something different. Uh, another interview, still audio, still a, a sample of what you are giving away as a, to members, but maybe a different interview. Well, this is awesome stuff. I mean, I, I I think you've given us several different things to think about. I've got a few more like mechanical types of things, like you know, are, what are you using to test? Um, are you testing things like landing pages and you know different colors and titles and text on pop ups and things like this? Yeah, we are. And we, we haven't done it in the last 30 days, but we really got heavy into this about four or five months ago. We tested um, a light box, which I know is a, a matter of controversy for a lot of people. Some people hate the light box. It, I'm telling you, you can hate it all you want. The thing works. I mean, when we had the newsletter sign-up box on the left side of every page, that thing hardly got anything, you know, 10 or 12 sign-ups a day. Well, the day we added the light box and every day thereafter – you know, we're doing 50, 60 signups a day with that light box. So um, get a light box, 
don't make it come up right away. You know, put it back so that it's 30 seconds after they're there for a while and then set a cookie so that it doesn't show up every time they come to the site, maybe once a month if they don't sign up. And if they sign up, it never shows up again. So we've, we did a lot of testing with the Lightbox and we have that. Um, the landing page for the interview is very simple and the simpler the better. I mean, everything we've tested is just, I think if you went to traderinterviews.com and you check, clicked on, you know, get a free interview, you'll see it there. It's literally a headline and an email submit box and that's it. That's all it is. The less junk you put on that page, you don't want any headers, you don't want any navigation. You want them to do one thing on that page, and that is to put in their email and hit submit. That is it. So why put anything else? Why put any other links, anything else there? The simpler, the, the more plain, the better it is going to be for your conversion. And we found that when we didn't ask for a first name, that increased conversion by about 25%. So unless you feel so strongly about it, and I don't, I don't, I don't, that you need their name, because everybody starts their emails with, Dear Joe or Dear Tim, everybody knows you're not actually emailing them specifically by, you know, in Outlook, right? So <laughs> if you're going to increase conversion, don't ask for the first name. The more you ask for, the lower your conversion is going to be. Get the one thing you need, which is their email address. Nice. Well, I, I think we've talked a lot about trader interviews, and I appreciate you being so transparent and going to all this detail. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now with interview income. Sure. So the idea behind interview income was that you know, we started getting people asking us, how are you doing this with trader interviews? How are you making money with this? And by no means do I want this to be a pitch for interview income. I'm just telling you that we, we, we put up a course that was an, I, that shows you exactly how we do trader interviews. And it's a lot of some stuff, stuff we've talked about here, but in more depth. And uh, we thought, well, let's show people why interviews are such a great base of content for any site, no matter what you're doing. If you're doing a, a website about gardening or anything, interviews are perfect Real quickly, because A, they're keyword rich without having to figure out what's my keyword density and all that SEO crap that I hate doing. You know, it just naturally flows with a lot of just good search engine optimized keywords in the right places because it's just plain conversation about that subject. And it's easy. You get somebody on the phone, you get somebody on Skype and you record it. Transcription is so cheap. Uh, you get you can you can you get the audio, you make a podcast out of it, you can divide it up into three-part shows. You have the text for transcription that Google loves. You can, you can uh, sync it with slides and make a video out of it. It is just so um, versatile in the type of content you can create from just one interview. That's why I love it so much, and it's fast. Who are you using for your transcription? I use a site, a couple different sites, but the one I use most is, is a place called Patodia Inc., and it's, it's P-A-T-O-D-I-A-I-N-C.com. And uh, I've used them for the past couple of years. I, I want to say they charge, you know, in the neighborhood of 50 cents an audio minute. Um, the nice thing about them is a lot of people charge based on how long it takes them to do the transcription. Um, these guys charge based on how long the audio is, and that's it, no matter how long it takes them to do it. And in the financial space, we got some terms that are – it's almost like medical transcription. There are some, you know, words in the financial space that are pretty crazy, and they do a really nice job. They'll go out and research and, and look online to figure out what you're talking about and to do the transcription, so I've been really happy with them. How would you hear about them? I don't even remember. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think they spammed me. It's like the only <laughs> I think it's the only thing I've ever bought on spam. I'm always like, who the hell buys this Viagra? Like, there's, no, there's nobody that actually does this, right? I, I, I can't believe it, but I think they actually did. But it was just one of those things where they actually filled out my contact form on the site. It's not like they, you know, <laughs> really truly spammed me. Um, and so, I, and I just hired them because the, the rate was so good. I think even the transcription sucks. They're just charging so little. It's great. But it turned out it was really good. So I've used them ever since. So what are the different things that you have to tend to now in your business? That Obviously, you have to arrange these marketing promotional things with these other, uh, with these other website owners. You got to create the new content for your members. What other yeah. types of things are you doing? Uh, you know, I think that the, the thing that takes the longest is creating those relationships with partner sites because it takes me a long time to go out and find them. Once I do find them, I've got to email them and kind of build that trust that, hey, I'm a legitimate person. I'm not going to scam your list. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to lead them awry. Once they're subscribers to my list, I'm not going to start, you know, just pounding them every day to buy something. So I think that takes the, the longest amount of time. I probably spend half my time at least doing that. 
the other half is spent getting uh, the interview done, actually spending time on the phone, editing the transcript a little bit just for, for to be more article-like so that it reads well. Because, you know, human language, if you try to do, just put this out as a transcription, you, you start, you know, start and stop. You, we all talk in fits and starts. And so just editing that and, and then uh, kind of customer service for the members takes that, that other 50% of the time. Um, I enjoy going out to other sites and, and site owners and learning about what they're doing. Uh, not everybody's as transparent as we are about what we're doing, which is fine. I understand that. Um, but it allows, it's enough time that I get to spend talking to traders that it's really the part that I want to do. And we've got it automated enough. Neil's done such a great job with our software that most everything is so automated that we get to spend the time doing what we want to do, which is creating the content itself. The customer service thing is interesting. I, one, one thing I noticed right off the bat is that your emails all end with call or email me anytime. And it has your email address and your phone number in yeah. every email that you send out. Do you actually, I, I know everybody's got to wonder, do you actually get calls? This is hilarious because I, I've, I've emailed my cell phone number, my, my legitimate, the phone that rings in my pocket. I've emailed it out to my list of 15,000 probably 100 times. <laughs> I, I got to a trade show. I like, we went to a trader's expo. I was just back from Dallas. And I said, hey, I'll be at the show if you want to call me. Here's my cell phone number. And people are like, are you crazy, man? Give me your cell phone number out. You're like, just isn't this ringing off the hook? No, it doesn't. I probably got two pe- people that called me at the show. And we met for a beer. I mean, it was people, <laughs> people think that, you're, you know, you put your mobile number out there and it's just going to get called nonstop, you know, at two in the morning. It doesn't. But what it you build so much goodwill by people knowing that they can get a hold of you if they want to. They'll never call. They rarely call. But just the fact that they know they can is that it's it's just a lot of goodwill for you. So I recommend doing it if you're not comfortable with your cell phone, which not everybody is. Then put you know your Google Voice number down there. Mine forwards to my cell phone anyway, so it doesn't matter. But put a phone number in there and you know return calls. And it's so simple, guys. And it's. It's just amazing to me that people don't return calls and emails in a timely fashion. And when I say timely, I return most stuff within an hour. If you can't do it, by the next day, but just return it. It's amazing how many people don't and how much it will set you apart by just getting back to people. That's huge. I love that tip. It's funny because I actually started putting my number out there once I saw you were doing it. You inspired me to do it. And I thought, man, that is so awesome. It totally adds it, all this legitimacy. And I, I get calls. At, and usually once a day, and people are always shocked when I answer. They go, oh, yeah. I, I expected somebody from your staff to answer. <laughs> and, and I'm going, uh, you're talking to the whole staff right now. <laughs> you know, there yeah, and you know what I'll do? They're like, I've had people call me, and they're like, where are you? I'm like, I'm just checking out at the grocery store, just picking up some cookies. <laughs> and they're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, I'm like, this is who I am, man. You know, people think that you got to try to pretend like you're this huge 20,000-person company. People like it better that they're talking to the guy, and don't don't feel like you have to make sure unless you're you know unless you're doing like government contracts, you're trying to get some huge company to believe you're some big. But most of the time, that doesn't work anyway. People know you're not fooling anybody, so you know t- you take advantage of it and and embrace the fact that you're small and accessible. People love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you've given us all kinds of gold today. I'm really excited about this interview. Thanks for spending the time here. I, yeah, no problem. If you want my phone number, I'll give it out. People can call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well you, know, you can go to traderinterviews.com and, and find me, or LinkedIn, or Facebook, or whatever. Yeah, but uh, I, I love talking about this stuff. So, it, it, if if you can't tell, um, you know, I talk kind of fast and I slur my words. My, it drives my wife crazy. She can't hear me half the time or understand what the hell I'm saying. But I, I just love talking about this stuff because it, it gets me excited. Where do you Where do you think you're going next? Like, what it What's on the horizon for? Uh, for what you're doing, because you're clearly somebody who's always looking for the next little adventure. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I, I really it, we put up interview income, and it was it was kind of an experiment. We ran one class through, and we occasionally get new members for that. But I've really neglected it, and I really want to kind of it, it's a I, I want to show people how to use these these interviews. I mean, and the next site I'm going to start, and I probably shouldn't give out the URL because it's complete garbage right now. But you, I'm going to give it to you anyway because there's nothing there. But I've always wanted a podcast or on XM or satellite radio when I drive of motivational interviews with successful people. And I think there's some out there, but I would I, – so we, we registered the domain successinterviews.com. And I think that's going to be our next membership site uh, that we're going to do some testing on. I, I, I'm going to interview people that have started businesses and sold them and just you know motivational people, maybe not the Tony Robbins type, type of – 
that big, maybe someday, who knows, but just people that are motivational, have businesses and are excited about what they do. And, and I just think that a podcast that, that does that, it would be really good for other entrepreneurs and business owners. So I think success interviews is something I really want to work on going the next uh, couple of months. That's for sure something I'd subscribe to. That's awesome. That's very cool. Good. Well, I'll give you a charter membership, Izzy. So uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate the offer, but I, you know, uh, so, okay. So I encourage anybody listening to this to make sure you check out traderinterviews.com. Go check out interviewincome.com. Be on the alert for successinterviews.com, which I'm really excited about. And uh, I, on behalf of everybody listening, and I have to say thanks for agreeing to be on the show and to be so open with your answers. And uh, hopefully, yeah. now I'm speaking to the listeners here, hopefully, as you listen to this, you found it inspiring and educational. And I know I picked up a few ideas from this. It's so amazing to me that, you know, after all these years, that every time I have one of these types of conversations, I'm picking up things. And so hopefully you found value in this. And uh, I think you probably did. So I think that's it for this time. In the, and this is when we do our sign-off. So in the meantime, Tim. Enjoy your foolish adventure. Thanks for listening to Foolish Adventure. If you found this information helpful and want more like it, please visit foolishadventure.com. Do you have specific questions you'd like us to answer? Leave a comment on the website. Who knows? Maybe we'll create a whole show to answer it. Also, we have a voicemail line where you can ask questions. The number is 480-331-4695. 